I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Oh, yeah, we're back. What up? This is Philadelphia Daily News columnist David A. Murphy, and I'm joined by a new guest, one, Michael Sielski of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Why am I new? I don't know. Because you called me like, Mike the whole time, and now I'm Michael? I felt like shaking it up a little bit. Wow. So I believe they call it the hopper in the business, because we have Bob, whatever it is, Bob Brookover is there. He is. Biding his time. Hopping, waiting. He is going to talk to us. I think a twofold approach would be appropriate since we saw Bob Brookover at the Hojo press conference. He was there. Howard Johnson? Hojo. Howie and Joe. Ah. It's like Brangelina, th- only sexier. <laughs> I was thinking of the, either the hotel chain or the former Mets third baseman. Are they still together? Um, not not Howard Johnson no, and the hotel no, chain, but Brangelina. You know no. Brad had uh, reportedly had an affair uh, with on on during the filming of his last movie. The one where he plays um, the it's the World War Two one where his wife is a spy, a German spy, okay. Marion Cotillard, who's been in a bunch of Christopher Nolan movies. She was the villain in The Dark Knight Rises. Um, they apparently um, had a little fling, and Angelina found out about it. And Brangelina are no more. Man. And this is your celebrity gossip update. We'll have to get a sponsor for that. But I anyway, so. so Bob Brookover is gonna. I'm gonna pick his brain about the Eagles. I don't know if you heard, but the NFL schedule is coming out at some point in the near future. Uh, as of 8 o'clock last night, it is already out. Oh, is that what these five stories on our website are? <laughs> Might be. Have you uh, figured, have you made plane reservations yet? If you would like anybody at our company's take on the NFL schedule. You can get it. That, here's my thing about the NFL schedule. Well, let me finish. Not Bob. that you want to go on a fun rant let me, here. Let me finish the Bob Brookover intro right, because yeah. we're going to shift gears then and talk about Sixto. We're going to be searching for Sixto. Mm-hmm. Um, Sanchez, right? Yeah. Or was he the singer? No, Sixto Sanchez was the uh, is the prospect, the, the okay. flame throwing Phillies prospect. Okay. I always 18. get. Um, wasn't the guy's name Sixto in Searching for Sugar Man? Was he? I don't. I've never seen Sugar Man. Um, Searching for Sugar Man. It's a documentary. Very good. Yeah, movie. I know. Um, and then there was also Sixto Lacanzo, right? Sixto Lescano. Or Lescano. Yeah. Yeah. A ma- a key cog in the 1983 Phillies run to the uh, World Series. Anyway, which, like most things in this town, ends in complete and utter failure. Uh, pretty much did. Uh, it's a really crappy time to be a Philadelphia, to, to be involved at all in Philadelphia sports. It's it's uh, it's quite amazing. Twenty seasons without a playoff victory. I so so, so Bob Brookover wrote this story called Sixto Sanchez, a Phillies prospect. You'll soon be hearing about. Mm-hmm. I would say that's a quite prescient headline since you are now hearing about it. <laughs> Um, and Brookie says it, and we make it happen. And he's going to be an 18-year-old. Actually, I'm sorry. That was <laughs> that commutes. Was, whoa, whoa. Never ending. All right, that was actually the <laughs> the headline of Jim Salisbury's Sixto uh, Sanchez. Piece. That was your musical interlude on not another Philly sports talk show. And that was the autoplay on CSN Philly's absolute headache of a website. Uh, yeah, that was not good. I, I feel like I'm going to go. On, I feel like I'm going to go into shock every time i log on to csmphilly.com because it's just like this giant supernova of video clips and ads and it just attacks your senses from it does. all angles it does it's like mike sealski in his heyday here i'm coming so bob brookover get your defenses ready bob brookover whatever he called his story we're going to talk about that it was quite a good piece i did not memorize the headline and um anyway the nfl schedule came out this mm-hmm. we are this is a tgi friday it edition is. of not another Philly sports talk show. It will be timeless though because the NFL draft is next. I don't know if you heard. I don't know if you saw the scaffolding erected. I, I, I was actually in a meeting this morning here at the company, and someone referred it referred to it as that NFL thing next week. Yeah. Well, as somebody who lives near the art museum, mm-hmm. I will tell you that it looks a lot like a lot more than a thing. <laughs> it's. Uh, it uh, looks like everything you would expect. The Chicago World's you, Fair from 1893. It looks like everything you would expect if you had if you turned over the fourth largest metropolitan city in the United States to the NFL to brand <laughs> as they <laughs> saw fit. I'm telling you, man, I was in Queen Village for the Pope, mm-hmm. and I am in 
fair amount now for the NFL draft. And I'll tell you what, I don't ever want to see Roger Goodell introduce the Pope <laughs> on the NFL draft stage. <laughs> I really think that the NFL draft is worse. The, the, the city reacts to these things as if like a hurricane is coming or like a giant you know, monster that's going to stomp the it city. It looks like a giant monster. <laughs> um, all these poor artists yeah. who have their paintings hanging. Covered up. Gone. Covered up by the NFL draft 2004. I'm still curious to see how many people. The more I think about it, I took, some, I took a little flack from some listeners on Twitter. Yeah. For my... Dismissal of the... Uh, my quite dismissive. As I wanted to do, I was quite dismissive of the whole notion of going to the celebrate, Museum yeah. to watch the NFL draft when anything relevant that's going to happen is going to happen at the Novacare Complex. Right, right. Um, I think it will be cool to see Hassan Reddick mm-hmm. introduced. Um, and, it, I mean, the whole spectacle of it is probably going to look interesting. I think, I mean, it's going to look great on TV, I think. Yeah. And, and but now that I've reconsidered my position and had a week to reflect on it, I think that it, this could be one of those events that's, like, perfect for a father and son from the suburbs who don't want to spend a lot of money, mm-hmm. come down, get come into the city. So, Yeah, I, and I think, too, Philadelphia is kind of well positioned now, at least with this event. Um, you know, I've I've heard some talk radio banner about ooh, what's going to happen at the draft? Is Roger Goodell going to get booed? It's like, well, every commissioner in every of every sport gets booed. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't foresee. At least we it, know Roger Goodell's name. I couldn't even tell you who the NHL commissioner Gary is. Gary Bettman. Is it still Bettman. Yeah, Gary Bettman. Yeah. All right. And he gets booed by everybody everywhere. Um, but that's kind of the point. Like, I don't see. Uh, you get booed by hockey fans everywhere. I'm getting booed continuously today. Yeah, what did you write? So you were, I came into the office. Dave Murphy has officially become a hipster, by the way, because I rode my bike to the office today. Wow. Oh, my God. And I got to tell you, I was... I were, you, re- did you, were you listening to the Pixies as you no, did? No. I, I, it's not very safe to ride to yeah. Philadelphia <laughs> while listening to music. Um, well, I, wrote, I will here's say what this. I, here's what I wrote. Well, to, let me tell you about my bike ride. Go ahead. Talk about your bike ride. I just want to say I feel like I was born to ride. Like the wind in there, I forgot what the wind in my face feels like, and it's very liberating. I don't know if you can detect. I can tell you what the. I wind don't know if you can. Detect. I can tell you what the wind in my face feels like every time you start going on one of these rants. <laughs> that was good. All right. So what did you write? What'd so you, what did you get the Flyers fans? All right. So I got the Flyers fans riled up about what they have to do or might have to do in this off season um, to kind of reverse uh, this trend they're on, which is missing the playoffs basically every other year and not doing a whole lot when they do make the playoffs. And uh, while Ron Hextall, their general manager, is trying to be patient and wants to be patient, it's very possible that he's going to have to make um, some fairly significant changes in the offseason um, that he might decide to do that to try to accelerate the whole rebuild. And given that, even though everybody um, looks at the team and says, well, if you can trade, not everybody, but people look at the team and say, well, if you can tra- trade Claude Giroux or Jake Voracek because they're declining or they're not as good as we think, they ought to be, uh, That that's the easy answer to give. The, the fact is that if the Flyers wanted to make a major move, the guy who would be their most valuable commodity as trade bait right now, with the exception of Ivan Provorov, their young defenseman, who they're not going to give up and they shouldn't, uh, is Wayne Simmons, who you know, is the most beloved player on the team right now. He was their all-star, their leading goal scorer, has been very consistent and very good. Um, but the reason I raise that question uh, as to, hey, the Flyers may have to think about this, not that they have to trade Wayne Simmons or anything like that, but they, they really ought to think about it, is because in a salary cap world, uh, Simmons carries a lot of value. He makes less than $4 million a year. Uh, you know, he's giving the Flyers right now more production, you know, relative to his salary than just about anybody else. And he's going to turn 29 in August. And his contract is up in, I think, two years. So they're going to face a decision where, okay, if are we going to re-sign him? And if so, how much are we going to pay to re-sign him? And if we do that, are we going to end up overpaying for a declining player? So the idea being that we've discussed many times with respect to baseball, basketball, football, you know, maybe they should think about making an early move if they want to kind of kick the can farther down the road and really go young. Maybe you can get some more prospects for Wayne Simmons. Um, again, it wasn't suggesting that they should do it, just that they probably ought to think about it. And Flyers fans did not like this idea no. because they love Wayne Simmons. Let me guess. Y-O-U-R, an idiot. Yes. A lot of that. 
Um, a lot of, um, I, I think I got an email. Well, I did definitely did get an email that um, referred to uh, the, the entire column as talentless whacking off. Um, so that was interesting. <laughs> um, I'm not going to comment. Yeah, no comment at that. So, yeah, so I've been fending off Flyers fans Talent- on Twitter and in my email accounts all morning. Been fun. That's an excellent phrase. Yeah. Like, if we had a quote board, like we were freshmen in college, I would put that on. Talentless, talentless whacking off. Yes. That's twice now we've we've used it in the podcast. Um, here's a question for you while we're on our brief flyers note. Yeah, is it me or is Ron Hextall aging like a U.S. president? Oh, he, it's it's incredible. It's incredible. The poor guy. Yeah. looks like like my yeah. goodness. He looks like Lincoln at the end of you know just he really before. <laughs> just just right at the end of uh, you know right when Appomattox happens. <laughs> my you know. Appomattox. Uh, Appomattox. Yeah. I mean, those are stressful jobs. They are. He just needs, I think he needs to go back to the bald head, or at least like the close cut head. Um, the long hair. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't do him well. I mean, he just. But I, it happens to all I these guys. Sorry. Like, like I, Sam Hinkie lost 15, 20 pounds. I feel sorry for this guy I'm looking at right here. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, yeah. let's, um, let's talk to Bob. Let's talk to Bob. Oh, the NFL schedule. We never got to that. Yeah. So. So the, it's amazing to me that the NFL. We'll get to Brookie in a sec. It's amazing to me that the NFL has somehow found a way to not only just get the official website of the fourth of the largest <laughs> media company in the fourth largest media market in the country to devote four stories to the unveiling mm-hmm. of their schedule. Nor it's not just that people actually are reading those stories. Right. <laughs> if you look at the traffic numbers, <sighs> it's that the NFL didn't announce anything except dates and times yes. like we we've known these opponents you would think that they've you know oh wow look at the eagles get to play in california but twice we knew we knew where they were playing who they were playing yeah but it's the nature of the nfl as an event it's unlike, awesome a, unlike anything else on the sports calendar and you know you were seeing it on twitter like people were leaking the schedule leaking certain dates jeff McLean had a story up you know, in the middle of the afternoon yesterday about how the Eagles were going to play the Seahawks in Seattle on December 3rd and then play the um, uh, the Rams in L.A. on December 10th. So there would be one long West Coast trip. And, oh, the Raiders are coming to Philadelphia on Christmas night. Now, I can tell you, as the father of two young children, that had significance for me. Like, I was waiting to— f- like, You're going to make sure your doors are locked. I'm going to make sure that I'm home. I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to not work that game. Oh, I didn't even think of— uh... You know, because— it's it's you know Christmas night with you know two boys under the age of six. So um, I mean, if I have to, I'll go. But but that was significant. I get my wife saying to me, "Are you gonna have to work that game? Really? Are you? Do you have to?" Well, Michael, I will say this: whatever personal sacrifices I have to make out of my life, so that your personal life it's is about not, time because so you don't so sacrifice that, anything so your on my behalf. Life. No, I always I'm always I will say this: I don't like to brag about myself. That's not true. But I always put my hand up to work holidays mm-hmm. uh, because. You have no friends or family. Like, all I'm going to be doing is sitting at home yeah. eating Orville Redenbacher's <laughs> by myself anyway. Um, so let's talk to Brookie. Okay. And here he is, Bob Brookover, coming to you live from Lakewood. Or where are you, where are you at, Brookie? Long Beach Island. Long, by, Long Beach Island? Beach Haven West, to be most precise. We don't care for precision around here, so we're just going to say New okay. Jersey. Do you drive around town in a golf cart? Uh, yeah, no, no, I haven't reached that status of human being yet. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but but I hope but I hope to someday. <laughs> this is Bob Brookover, who has a had a long and distinguished career at your Philadelphia Inquirer, covering among other things the Philadelphia Phillies and the Philadelphia and the Eagles. Philadelphia Eagles. And that's good because we're going to talk about both of them. Bob, you were yes, you were at our Hojo. I've I've deemed them Hojo. They're they're like our celebrity couple, Howie and Joe. Howie, Howie Roseman, Joe Douglas. The Brangelina of Philadelphia sports. What did you? What was your? What jumped out at you most out of that press conference yesterday? Um, probably they talk about Joe Mixon and how, you know, how he seems to want to point out that Joe Mixon is very talented, a unique talent, and and Joe Douglas kind of was like, you know, he's not on everybody's draft board. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not sure there's. I'm not sure that they're not on the same page, but but they certainly had um, what they wanted to reveal was a, a little bit different. I'll say, so, I will be stunned if the Eagles draft Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon, for those of you who do not know, is 
the Oklahoma running back. I, who, we could do an entire podcast on Joe Mixon because I'm a, I'm a bit conflicted about the whole situation. I am too. I mean, well, maybe we should do it right now. Brookie, what, look, right, I don't Brooke, condone punching ahead, women in the face, but this was 2014. And if a guy, I mean, we do have a justice system in this country. And if a kid who makes a mystique, mistake at 18, however egregious, uh, you know, and that gets adjudicated, or even if it doesn't, you know, or even if he goes to jail and comes out of jail, like at, at some point, it, it's kind of a, a dangerous, it's kind of dangerous territory to me to be holding an 18-year-old's yes. mistake against him the rest of his life and, and threatening his ability to make a living. Um, I don't know. What do you think, hey, Brooke? Hey. I don't know if this is, it's not the same exact comparison, but Adrian Peterson was certainly a, a, a mature adult when he, he was charged with abusing his child. Um, you know, now there's, there's a lot of things that go into that and, and it's different in, in many ways, but it's also illegal what he did. And he's back in the league and he, you know, the, the, the league decided, yes, he, he's back in the league and the Vikings took him back because, you know, the Vikings decided he was so worthy of them. I think I might have been talking with you. I was talking to somebody, I guess it was Zach Furman yesterday, just about Ray Rice and how Ray Rice would have been allowed back in this league if the players, I mean, if teams thought he could still play. He was, his was more about he was coming off bad years. He was just at 29 years old. They decided he couldn't play anymore, and it wasn't worth the aggravation of bringing him in. Um he was going to be back in the league, though. If he if he had had a fifteen hundred yard rushing yeah. season yeah. the year before, he'd certainly be back. So, I mean, how is Joe Mixon any different than that? To me, yeah, I'm not sure he is. I mean, I think we all kind of, you know, the the sliding scale, um, you know, the X Y graph that that teams seem to use now, which is, you know, how much can he benefit us on the field versus how much of a problem does he become to deal with off the field. Um, you know, they all evaluate that, and, you know, I think I think the interesting part uh, is, you know, the, we're having this Joe Mixon debate here, you know, now, but it's been going on for a while, obviously, and then you have kind of the absolute positively worst-case scenario finally kind of finish its narrative this week with Aaron Hernandez committing suicide, where not only did you have the premier organization in the NFL, the Patriots, take the chance on him, even though teams knew very well that there was at least the potential for trouble there, um, failed drug tests, brawls while he was at Florida, things like that. But they gave him a $40 million contract extension as well. And, you know, if they get it wrong, anybody in the league you would think can get it wrong. No, Nobody in this league is immune from how can he help us. Yeah, you know, that, and it's the way it's pretty much the way the fans look at too. How can you help us? Absolutely. Now, is, is it shallow? Yep. But is it reality? Also, yep. This is going to be across the league. I think this is going to be an ownership decision. Yeah. Because let, let's assume, for all we know, Joe Mixon has been an upstanding citizen since this incident, which was in 2014. Uh, you know, now maybe, maybe, you know, the background work that Dom's doing, the, their head of security, the Eagles. I mean, these guys are like, it's not that hard to go onto a college campus and find out what a kid is really like. Right. You know, uh, so every team knows whether Joe Mixon really is a bad apple or if he was an impulsive 18 year old right. who made a, you know, really, mm -hmm. really bad uh, decision in the heat of the moment. Um, and again, none of this should be construed for apologizing right. for Joe Mixon, right. but let, like, I mean, look, we all make really dumb decisions. Uh, and Mixon, when you watch the tape, made it in that part of his brain that reacts and doesn't – it was not a conscious decision for him to – you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it was I, very – It was very. I'm just saying, like, it's, it's very difficult to say that nobody would ever react. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't know all the – circumstances involved was there alcohol involved i don't know um you know who knows but when alcohol gets involved a lot of stupid stuff starts happening yeah yeah so and, and, alcohol and drugs get involved lots of stupid stuff starts happening um and and again it's not an excuse but it's the it, it's the fact of life and how, how much alcohol is involved on college campuses 
you know, non-football players. Right. Right. It's and, rampant. Yeah, and what's interesting so. to what's interesting to me about it, and I heard um uh I think it was Joel Klatt, who's one of the who's I think Fox's one of Fox's top college football analysts discussing this the other day, which is that you know, the 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 argument against a team drafting Mixon is always, well, playing in the NFL is a privilege, it's not a right. Right. And I wonder if that gets framed that way only because of the amount of money that a player can possibly make in the NFL. Like if Joe Mixon were a plumber and he, this happened and another plumbing company were thinking of hiring him, you would never hear, well, being a plumber is a privilege, not a right. right. You would hear like, okay, well, he's paid his debt to society. He now has a chance to earn a living. And if this is what he wants to do, being a plumber and making whatever – you know, eighty thousand dollars a year as a plumber. Nobody would say, "Well, that's being a privilege. It's not a right." How dare the, that plumbing company hire him? But because, right. and, it, but, and the tricky part goes back to, to to Aaron Hernandez, right? You know, are we getting it right? Is, is this guy was it a one-time incident, or is this guy going to be a problem? You know, that's and, and there's guys with clean records who become problems. You know, some of them, some of them don't become problems until they get the money. And start doing things that they weren't doing before because they have now they have money and fame and you know tell I mean Ben Roethlisberger's in this league yeah uh, you yeah know, that's a good point he's done, he's done some really really bad things but see so here you know? uh, what I think though is I mean there's two issues there's one is he going to be a problem again but I don't think necessarily I think if team if teams find out if teams think he will that will take him off their board as, as mm-hmm. you know, it should, and as it will with just about any player. Um, but I think what's really going to be the issue is do we want to deal with the questions and the blowout, the blow up after we draft him? Do we want to deal with the optics of the situation? I mean, like take Jeffrey Lurie, for example, you've got an owner who talked a lot, has talked a lot over the last year about hearts and minds yeah. and, and his uh, talk throughout his tenure about right. you know being socially conscious and and you know that's why we brought in Michael Vick and and that and sort of thing. Now just picture a split screen with Laurie going on his hearts and minds talk after firing Chip Kelly, as the Joe Mixon video punching a girl in the face <laughs> and breaking four bones in her face plays in a loop next to it because that's what's whenever Joe Mixon gets drafted that is what's going to happen. That video is going to be played and played and played and played and played, and this is all about whether an owner. Uh, is willing to go through that and be associated with that uh, well, and take and those lumps. Some owner, some owner is, and the, 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 what happens too is the, the further you go down in the rounds and in the draft, the, the moral compass shrinks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. It's like, okay, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll take that risk in the fourth round. <laughs> it it almost kind of makes but, you long in a way for the Raiders as they used to be. Like I, I've always had this argument when when the uh, when the Eagles signed Michael Vick. Um, I, I always, I, I really, I found Lurie's defense of that from like a humanitarian standpoint, kind of disdainful from this standpoint. Um, even the Brooklyn Dodgers, when they signed Jackie Robinson for all the rightful credit that Branch Rickey got for breaking the color barrier and doing this wonderful thing for American society. There were other reasons they signed Jackie Robinson. It was because here is this vast talent pool that we can be the first Major League Baseball franchise to tap into. Mm-hmm. Like, think of the oh, good... Winning, winning was very Winning was it, right, exactly. <laughs> so, and, and it makes me think, like, I, there is a part of me that wishes one NFL team would just stand up and say, look, we think Joe Mixon is a really good running back, and we need a really good running back, and we are going to take the chance that he keeps his nose clean and that he scores a ton of touchdowns for us. And while we're well aware of what he did, we're willing to take the chance, and so be it, because that's what we're about. We're about winning football games. And I think that would, I think, be, that would be a good script to give to an NFL team. Like, he's, yeah, <laughs> write that. Send that. Send that off to whoever drafts them. Right. They, sh- they should get that LeBron. Perfect they, script. They should get LeBron James to ghostwrite it for the cover of Sports Illustrated. There you go. Um, <laughs> I think thirty-two out of thirty-two general managers and thirty out of thirty-two coaches would be w- would say exactly that if. It was up to them. Right. Which is why I think, but it's the owner who actually has to deal with his, you know, prestige investment mm-hmm. being associated. And you know, corporate sponsors and all that sort exa- of stuff. Ex- and yeah, the corporate sponsor thing is a big yeah. thing. I mean, fans 
I bet you if we put a poll up right now, 70% of fans would, would say, bring on Joe Mixon. At least 70% of fans who spend money on the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, I think if you if you created an if-then if scenario, if Joe Mixon was going to score right, yeah, five okay. touchdowns this season for the Eagles, would you draft him? That's right. But then I also <laughs> no, said... I also that would be like 98% yes. Yeah, exactly. I also think those same 70% will be the first 70% making fun of the Cowboys when they do end up drafting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Or the Giants. Oh, yeah. Look at those thugs. Look at those thugs in Dallas. Yeah. There'd be some stick figures then. So, anyway, enough about Joe Mixon. I think that <laughs> – Shout out to Jimmy Kemsky. I get the sense that – Jimmy Kemsky. Yeah, I said if the Cowboys drafted him, oh, there'd yeah, be yeah. some stick figures. That then. would be some great stick figures. Um, Assuming trademark stick figures. So, here's here's my question, Brookie. What, what do you get the – so, I, I spent part of yesterday looking back through – um, the 2002 Philadelphia Inquirers leading up to the NFL draft in which um, Lito Shepard, Michael Lewis, mm-hmm. and Sheldon Brown um, were drafted. And it was just interesting to me to kind of read about, you know, it was Phil Sheridan still covering the team at the time. I think you were on baseball, Brookie. Um, or you were in camp. Uh, I was, that was my last year, full year on baseball, yeah. And, um, you know, like the – whereas this year the conventional wisdom is cornerback or defensive end. Right. Um, or maybe wide receiver, you know, that year it was Jeremiah Trotter had just signed with the Redskins and they had, they had finished 18th in rushing yards, you know, allowed and Marshall Falk had run for like 160 yards against them in the NFC championship game. And like the, you know, the assumption was defensive tackle, safety, middle linebacker. And they ended up going defensive back, defensive back, defensive back when they had Bobby Taylor, Troy Vincent, Troy Vincent, and had just traded away Al Harris. And I guess my long that, that long preamble sets up this question for you, Brookie. Do you think um, they would they Howie and Joe are in a, or let's say Howie because this is Howie's call? Uh, are they in a position where if a guy like O.J. Howard, whom you wrote about, I believe today, um, is their number one player on their board, who's a tight end, and you know he falls to them at number fourteen, are they in a position where they will? draft for OJ Howard's potential in the long run versus a glaring the two glaring needs that they have right now at, at cornerback and defensive end for the short term I, I guess the question is, is you know how do you evaluate these guys and you know I, I haven't seen any of these guys enough to know exactly right. you know I'm not a draft expert uh, you know I read like you guys read that it's a very deep cornerback draft and there seems to be three of them that are you know very high on, on teams' boards. To me, what I would do is if if I have OJ Howard and one of those three cornerbacks, it's going to be commonly let's say, say it's commonly uh, even, and it comes to fourteen, they're both there. I take the position of need at that point. If you have those two guys rated the same, um, now if you have OJ Howard as a difference making. You know, Gronkowski, Jimmy Graham tight end, if that's what you think, I would have a hard time passing that up. And and not because Zach Ertz isn't a good player, because he is a good player, but to have a great tight end, I mean, the the Patriots are the the prime example of showing, you know, and and certainly the Saints when they had Jimmy Graham, are a prime example of what that position can do for an offense. Uh, especially if there's talent on the, you know, at, at the receiving position, which seemingly there is now, certainly more than there was a year ago, you know, maybe you make yourself a juggernaut offense and you, you say, let's try to get a good cornerback in the second round. You know, it, it's, I don't think it's an awful idea. <laughs> it's like, put it this way, the Eagles are in a position where they will have room to accommodate any player who might project as one of the top five in the NFL at that position. There are no yeah. there are no position now, so I guess is what I'm saying. Like what if you have, you know, what if you end up drafting Connolly? I actually like Gary and Connolly from mm-hmm. Ohio State. But let's just say you draft Gary and Connolly and he turns out to be um like I mean let's even say Sheldon Brown. Okay. You know? A, a real, or Alito Shepard. A solid like a, just a solid, you know, he's gonna those, start at those are two very good players. Yeah, yeah. like that let's say but Let's say in doing so, you pass up J.J. Watt or Rob Gronkowski. That's kind of the danger to me right. when you get into a position when you, when you get into a situation where, you know, you're tainting your observation through what your immediate need is. Because mm-hmm. that's like, right. you know, anybody would look back and be like, oh, 
yeah, I would take, you know, Earl Thomas instead of mm-hmm. Brandon Graham. Yeah. Even though Brandon Graham's a solid player now. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's not a game changer right. like Earl Thomas. Right. Right. And that's and that's going to be the question. I mean, I, I I'm you're right, Brookie, in that I haven't studied this. Yeah, I mean, Murph Murph goes over the tape. He's Yeah, but it, like yeah. even these guys who spend their entire, entire lives, they like, don't Like there's they a reason why the there's story. 15, there's every scouting department has like 10 to 15 people yeah. breaking all this stuff and sharing the workload. You can't possibly run a one-man operation and have all the information you right. need to have to make actual evaluations of every position of every player in college. Football. Right, but the, to me, the tight end question is an interesting one. The middle linebacker question is an interesting one. Just the linebacker. Like Hassan Reddick could be one of the. Yeah, you know? like or the, the running back. What are the running backs? Right, call? like I like like all right, Christian McCaffrey, for instance. If Christian McCaffrey's at fourteen, and he would seem again from the limited bit I've seen of him, the perfect kind of back for the offense that. Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz want to run, you know, versatile, a terrific route runner by all accounts, great hands by all accounts, willing to run through the tackles, you know, not the biggest guy in the world, but will add pounds and muscle while he's in the NFL because, you know, he will be plied with the correct su- supplements to apply, to uh, put on those pounds. You know, do you take him um, and go against 30 years of history that says don't take a running back in the first round? See, my question – I think the question is more if a guy. So well, like, last year, last year's history kind of rewrote that with Ezekiel Elliott. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but that's the thing is like, all right. So, like, I'm thinking more along the lines of Christian McCaffrey might be a very good player, but he's right now currently slotted to go in between you know ten and twenty. Okay. So like, it would make sense. Like, at that, pos- I'm talking about like, let's say Leonard Fournette. Okay. You know who's like as close to an Adrian Peterson type recruit or uh, prospect has, has come out, maybe including Ezekiel Elliott. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, t- I guess there's been a lot like Todd Gurley, but, but he like Leonard Fournette is the type of guy you could look at and be like, okay, yeah, everybody should have known that was Adri- Adrian Peterson 2.0 right. down mm-hmm. the future. What if a guy like that falls who you didn't think was going to fall? Like, all right, let's go to the Warren Sapp draft. Right. Okay. Or the Randy Moss draft. Um, so Warren Sapp fell to like twenty or twenty-two. It was twelfth, I think. Was it? Yeah. Okay, so that's that's perfect. Yeah. So Warren Sapp, who was at one point regarded to be a top three player in the draft, ended up falling, and the Bucks got an absolute. Because he, he smoked, which tells you. Right. <laughs> but I'm, let's say, then. but let's say there's a player like that. Uh, like let's say you know that's this year's draft, mm-hmm. and Warren Sapp is falling and falling and falling, and the Eagles don't necessarily need a defensive tackle. Um, you know. Do you pick that player that you did not expect to have a shot at, right. um, even if it means going into a season with Patrick Robinson and Jalen Mills as your cornerbacks, and you know Brandon Graham and Vinnie Curry as your defensive ends? Or I think that's like the calculus. Like yeah. I'm curious what the split needs to be between. I, I think history shows that you do do that because you know you just named two guys: Randy Moss and Warren Sapp. Dan Marino would be another one. You know, Aaron Rodgers. But to, to to a point. You know, so if if you have a if you if you're picking 14th and the guy you have number three on your board suddenly drops to you, I think you abandon ship. We that's our guy. I yeah. don't care what position he plays. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think you have to do that. The question becomes, you know, if you do that and you swing and miss on the pick, right. you know, that's that's the other issue, which is entirely possible with the Eagles. Both. And, both. You know, with anybody, anytime you really. make a pick, you're, you got a chance to be wrong. So here and this, so then this is and this all kind of stems from the the curiosity, like I still can't make much sense out of their off season because, like if you if you really look at it, they almost have two rosters that they're they have. They have a roster that's designed to win in 2017, and they have a roster that's like aimed at the long run. Right. So I mean, we're coming off a year where they kept all these undrafted free agents and like erred on the side of keeping guys like Dylan Gordon on the roster instead of maybe another wide receiver or mm-hmm. another veteran cornerback. And now they're going into a season where just about every player on their roster of consequence, apart from Lane Johnson and Carson Wentz, and perhaps like Barrett Brooks, I mean, there's some exceptions, but Jordan Hicks, but the majority of the players on their roster who are projected to start for them, what did I say? Barrett. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's definitely not on the team. (laughs) Um, Anyway, go ahead. The vast majority of the players that they have expecting to contribute are either heading into the last year of their contract or going to be 30 plus next year. So it's like, it's almost like, like, would you, it's almost like they have a better chance at winning this season as they're currently constructed than three years from now. Do you know what I'm saying? And for a team that's rebuilding, that's like, it's kind of like a, 
Am I, Brookie, what do you think? Like, is that confusing to you at all, or, or am I just kind of like? Uh, well, yeah, I'm really not sure if they're rebuilding or they want to win next year. They they talk out of both sides. I know. Uh, you know, they they really do. And and to me, you know, I, I've actually written this. You know, if Carson Wentz is really good, we should see that he's really good in year two. Because if you look at the history of good quarterbacks, by year two they're good. Yeah. By year three they're really good. I mean, it's it, it 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 presents itself pretty quickly whether whether they have it or not. And you know, the, the whole basis of everything is built around is Carson Wentz. The, Carson Wentz, the guy, you know, they said they believe he is. So if he's the guy, you know, you can interchange parts along the way and, and you should be good. And to me, you know, they're like, well, you know, we, we still have a lot of holes still. But we think we've got the right quarterback. Well, if you've got the right quarterback and you, you put some parts around him this year, then you should be – I'm not saying they should be a Super Bowl team, but, you know, I, I think the expectation for 2017 should be playoff team. I think that at least would be the expectation. I think they need to be held to that standard. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with virtually all of that, um, especially the part about the muddled off season. You know that we've talked about. Murph and I have talked about this on the on the podcast before. Um, and and I, you know, I don't know. I lean more towards the idea of like they should have just gone for it. You know, they should have just decided like, okay, we've got this young quarterback. You know, he's got a year under his belt. We don't have to wait. Um, you know, if they were upfront about that and saying, well, we're going to get Alshon Jeffrey and we're going to get Torrey Smith uh, to help right now, and we've got Jason Peters for, maybe, you know, another year, and, yeah, we'll draft behind them, but let's go do this right now, I would feel better about that. But I, I don't know. I guess the, the, the lack of clarity, you know, and, and I guess the draft would clear this up, you know, a good bit of it, um, makes me nervous you know, so to speak, about what their what their what their ultimate goal here is, um, and that they're going to end up kind of um, not getting either of what they want. You know, they're not going to go for it now, and they're not going to build for the long term, and so they're going to end up kind of messing themselves up in both regards. Well, the other thing they've done is they they, they made some serious strides on defense statistically from uh, from 2015 to 2016, but made then there's some major subtractions here. Um, you know, Benny Logan, uh, Connor Barwin, both cornerbacks, you know, nobody was in love with the cornerbacks, but they were veteran guys. Now, is it fair to, you know, if you're, you're talking about, well, you got to judge a rookie quarterback on being a rookie, you got to judge rookie cornerbacks on being a rookie too, because I mean, I've, I've never met anybody who, I, I think how or uh, Joe, either Joe or Howard mentioned this yesterday, how it's, you know, being a rookie quarterback is like being a rookie quarterback. You know, it's it's very, you know, it's the hardest position on defense because wide receivers are so good in this league. And, and, and adding the fact that all the rules are made for the offense, you know, so I wouldn't be surprised if this defense took a big step back in 2007. Well, and that's what, so that's to kind of combine the two points. Like, I think the Eagles. Like you said, Brookie, we talked about this the other day, I think. They were closer to having a dominant defense than having a dominant offense. And in signing Alshon, in allocating the money the way they did this offseason, they effectively ignored the defense. um, And then there was some attrition and subtractions in order to, you know, put some resources into the offense. Long story short, I just don't think you can win. Like, I think the cornerback position is so weak right now, it's like a deal breaker. Like, you just can't win Mm -hmm. anything with the cornerback situation as, as as it's currently constituted. I think that if you had, you know, if you had upgraded that position, you potentially could have won with the way the wide receiver situation sets up because we've seen teams do it. You know, I mean, we've seen Seattle do it. We've seen Carolina. I mean, look at the Carolina, you know, re- fleet of receivers they brought into that Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I keep going sure. back, you know, to, to, to reference the, the draft that, uh, that Murph wrote about today, you know, getting Lito, Sheldon, all those guys. Go back to the situation they had before that with B- Taylor on one side and Vincent on the other. As great as Brian Dawkins was, the reason, at least part of the reason, that Jim Johnson could experiment with him the way he did, putting him closer to the line of scrimmage, um, having him blitz as often as he did, you know, using him as almost like a third cornerback is because 
you have those two guys on the outside um, who are going to lock down for the most part virtually any receiver on either side of an opposing team's offensive formation. Go back to uh, when Rex Ryan, and I'm biased toward this because I cover the Jets, but go back to the Jets of 2009-2010 when they get to the AFC Championship game back-to-back years with Mark Sanchez as your quarterback, virtually no dynamism on offense at all, and the league's, you know, one of the, if not the best defense, one of the two or three best defenses in the league. Yeah, Rex Ryan was a smart defensive guy doing different things, but one of the different things that they were able to do was just say, we have Darrell Revis, and so one side of the field, we, I've, I've had Mike Pettin, their former defensive coordinator, tell me this. Literally, one side of the field, we don't have to worry about because Darrell Revis is there, and, and nobody's going to throw at him, and if they do, good luck to them, and that allows us to do X, Y, and Z with the rest of our defense. The flip side of that is true, too. Like, if you have, you know, Joe Smith and Joe Blow as cornerback, the re- you know, Rodney McLeod and Malcolm Jenkins the, can't— Those two guys are actually currently fifth and sixth on the depth chart. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Jenkins and McLeod can't be the safeties. They they really could be and should be because they got to worry about, you know, lending support on a, on a double team or, you know, double coverage or whatever the case may be. Uh, Brookie, like, like, check that. So someone brought this up to me a couple weeks ago and it, made, it was like very interesting to think about it made a lot of sense let's say Alshon Jeffrey this year is Calvin Johnson at his peak right and let's say you know Carson Wentz you know takes the next step and becomes a Pro Bowl quarterback um, and let's even say you know Brandon Graham and Vinnie Curry are both 10 plus sack guys how is that team any different from the teams that Jim Schwartz had in Detroit that never won anything. <laughs> that's, a, that's a nice scenario. Uh, yeah. And the Eagles fans would really like it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I don't know that it is. Um, you know. And those teams never had – their problem in Detroit was they never had a secondary. At least the Eagles had the safeties. Uh, it was just an interesting way to think about it because, like, what's the best-case scenario for Alshon Jeffrey? Oh, he could be Calvin Johnson. Well, what did Calvin Johnson ever win? Hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, they they've put a lot of stock in. It's a great point to put a, put a lot of stock in Jim Schwartz um, being a top notch defensive coordinator. And as I said, they got better last year. They still weren't a great defense, but they were a better defense than they had been. And maybe some of that also uh, can be attributed to the fact that they didn't have to be on the field for 75 minutes a game. You, you, uh, you read my mind there, Brookie. I, I was just going to ask, have, have either of you guys crunched the numbers on, I, I think from a sack standpoint, the pass rush was actually marginally better last year relative to what it had been with Chip Kelly and Bill Davis because um, even though they had more sacks in the Chip Kelly years, they were on the field more often. Um, have you guys, either of you guys crunched the numbers in terms of what the yardage given up would have been, you know, had this defense been on the field as much as, uh, Chip and Bill's defense w- was. Brookie, I think we lost Brookie. I think we did. Did you hear? Did you hear uh, Sealski's question? Uh, what was the question? I know. Did, did, not hear did, the question, did you? Did you or Murph crunch the numbers on whether? Oh yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I did hear that, and that's when I said that math is too uh, sophisticated for me. Oh, God. Uh, you don't have any, you don't have and, enough and fingers you, for and, that. And, and you promised there'd be no math, so. <laughs> I'll look um, up. Talk amongst yourselves. I'll look up. I'll, okay. I'll look something up for you real quick. All right. But I will say this. Oh, but, since I have but, this. But I do, I do firmly believe what I, the point I was trying to make, I just said that, you know, I, I firmly believe that Chip Kelly's style of offense leads to, um, you know, a much a very taxing, is very taxing on the defense. And, you know, and, and it, it went to the polar opposite where this team controlled the ball better than any team in football, and, and that helps the defense. So, um, you know, will they continue to do that? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. But it, it, it'll definitely help the defense if they do. I did look this up to, to support your point from earlier, Brookie. Um, each of the last one, two, three, let's just say this. Since 2013, one, two, four different quarterbacks have started a Super Bowl within their first five years in the league. Hmm. And when you look at it, uh, like that doesn't, imp- it doesn't include Ben Roethlisberger. It doesn't include the fact that Aaron Rodgers did it in his like second season as a starter. Right. Um, it doesn't include Brady, obviously, but Cam Newton, Joe Flacco, ben, uh, Colin Kaepernick, Russell Wilson, as Brookie was saying, you know, a lot of these guys, when you look, 
they actually win their Super Bowl. You know, Brady won his first three in his first five years as a starter. Aaron <laughs> Rod, you know, um, and it makes sense when you look at how their salaries escalate once their rookie contracts. And right. like, like there is an argument to be made that now is that there is no f- the future is now when you have a quarterback. Right. And I think that's why, you know, but if but if you build a team that has a defense that can't win, you know, maybe you're throwing a season away. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, oh, I, yes, I agree entirely. I mean, it, and a quarterback's salary does impact the roster so much, and what you can and the salary cap so much. You know, the, you're, you're right, and, and if you know, and those guys were all very talented guys, but you know, in a lot of cases, the defense with those guys was the difference maker. Was was what allowed them to, you know, even if you go back to Tom Brady's first Super Bowl, that was more about defense than it was about right. that offense. Yep, absolutely. That those Patriot people forget about how great those it was. Def- and he had a best offensive line in the league too. They like, they they scored, I believe, in their three playoff wins, in Brady's first Super Bowl year, they scored three offensive touchdowns in three playoff yeah. games and won the Super Bowl. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Like Brady didn't become Brady until Randy Moss. It was like oh, you know, until oh four. I mean, like right around the fifth year, a quarterback's individual progress takes off, but. Yeah, it's interesting that a lot of these teams end up winning before that, you know. Yeah. So, right. So here's here's your drive averages. Um, in Chip Kelly's last year as a coach, the Eagles' defense allowed 31.6 yards per drive on average. Okay. Um, that that was eighth worst in football. Football. And last year. Last year they allowed 29.4 yards per drive, and that was. Um, 12th best. So, Two yards makes that much of a difference, huh? Um, well, let's see, 29.4 and 31.6. Yeah, I mean, when you extrapolate it yeah. over the course of... Um, yeah, I guess so. And it might vary from de- from season to season what's yeah. by a little bit. Yeah. So, but then, but, but, so this might be the bigger difference. Okay. Uh, the defense was on the field an average per drive in 2015 of 2 minutes and 42 seconds. And last year, uh, they were on the field for an average of two minutes and 24 seconds which that's a lot yeah, yeah. that's a big difference and it's 224 was actually the second best mark in the league compared with the sixth worst mark in the league last uh in chip kelly's last year so you know i think that there is some merit to i mean don't get me wrong i think the defense was definitely helped by the fact that the offense played a very sure plotting you know possession oriented style of game i mean the eagles had a lot fewer drives than other teams too yeah um, i mean they so so you know in 16 games in 2015 the eagles defense was on the field for 203 drives not surprisingly by far the most in the nfl so 203 and then last year they were on the field for 186 wow wow that's, that's a, a difference lot of, of one po- that's more than one possession per game I mean, that's like, yeah, I mean, over the course of a season, that's like almost, you know, 75 snaps for per player. Yeah, yeah. So, Brookie, tell us about Lakewood. You yeah, let's a, talk about six, though. You know, what do you think of six, though? Six, though. I love his name, first of all. But, no, it, it was it was a lot of fun watching him the other day. You know, it, it, the Phillies do not have, which, it, which is the column I wrote, they, you know, they have some nice young pitchers. Jared Eikhoff at the top of that list. Um Aaron Knowles got a chance to be a good young pitcher. Zach Eflin, I think, has got a chance. But they don't have anything like Sixto Sanchez in their rotation right now. And that's not to say that Sixto Sanchez is ready for the big leagues. He's obviously not, which is why he's at low A ball right now. But the ball comes out really easily at 95 to 98 miles an hour. Some of them clocked him at 99. I, I didn't mm. see I – don't, I don't think I saw 99 tonight. I was there, uh, which was last Thursday. Uh, but – it, you know, it's just, you know, it's effortless 95 to 98. And he's, he needs work on the secondary pitches, which he admitted afterwards, his changeup and his, and his slider. He got, he lost that night. He gave up a, a run, one run on a, on a slide. Well, on a couple singles on sliders that were up in the zone and he left up in the zone, but the velocity, if it stays there and he can sharpen those secondary pitchers, this is the guy who's capable of being an ace in a in a big league rotation, from what I from what I saw. God, throwing ninety nine against low A hitters That's is not like even fair. Is like the kid who reached puberty ahead of everybody else <laughs> in Little League. It really is. I forget the guy's name who was, who was pitching for Greensboro that night. Who, who by the way, was managed by Todd Pratt. Um, wow, angry um, Todd Pratt. Yeah. Uh, 
and then and their leadoff hitter is Andrew Knapp's brother, um, huh. which was interesting too. But the the starting pitcher who pitched I think six shot out innings that night for Greensboro and won the game was thrown like eighty eight, eighty nine the entire night, <laughs> and 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 very effectively against low A hitters. Um, but you know it, it is it's 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 fun to watch. I'm not even sure the people who were in First Energy Park really knew what they were watching in Sixto Sanchez, how, how special that kind of stuff is. But it, it was definitely a fun guy to watch. So what, what does he need to do? I mean, how fast could his rise be? I, you know, I've, I actually asked him that. That was the very last question I asked him when I talked to him. Uh, Nelson Prada did, did the interpreting during the interview, but he said two to three years, I expect to be there. So, um, you know, it depends on how fast he goes this year and through the system. If he continues to pitch the way he is right now and he can sharpen that slider and change up and get to clear water by the end of this year, you know, now we're talking about Reading in the middle of next year, um, you know, and maybe a September call-up. And, you know, one of the things I don't think the Phillies have always been good at is being aggressive with, with younger players. Um, if, if this kid's ready in September of 2019, uh, you up. know, I bring him and I, I look at him. I, I don't care if he's 20 years old at the time. Uh, you know, there's, there's been 20 year olds. If you're good enough, you're good enough. So I, you know, I hope they don't, if he, if he shows that he's ready, I hope they don't err on the side of caution. God, he was born in 1998. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's depressing. Oh six, my God. Six, six, <laughs> oh. six toe Encarnacion Sanchez, uh, six foot, one eighty five righty. Is that? That's those, not that big. But uh, the, the other thing I love about the kid is it's just a story how they discovered him. It's a great, great well, story. Fill, fill us fill us in. In. They signed him. They signed him for thirty five thousand dollars, but they 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 uh, sent Bart Braun down to Dominican to look at a. They wanted to look at a uh, catcher that they they liked a lot, so they sent him down there. And at the time, Sixto was like 16 years old, and they he had been a shortstop, you know, because he wasn't real tall. He, he's he's certainly grown, but he he was a short kid. So they they sent some, They said, "Hey, go get some guys to throw some batting practice to the catcher." And Bart Braun watches him and essentially says, tells Sal Gastinelli, the head of the international scouting for the Phillies, yeah, I'm not so hot on the catcher, but there's this pitcher that I like, and five days later they signed the kid. So, pretty cool story. So, so does he have a, does he have room, um, I mean, what's he look like physically? I mean, I, six, he, uh, he's, he's, he's mature. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a mature 18 year old now. I mean, I don't know what he looked like at 16, but at 18, he's, He's got a mature body that that figures to to get more mature. I guess is the best way to put it. Is you know by the time he's twenty twenty one, fill out even even more. But it's a mature body now. So that's like. But is there any concern about? Um, I mean, the, the list of guys who are only six feet who threw ninety five to ninety nine is quite short, and yeah. one of them ended in. Uh, I mean, one of them was like a supernova of his career, Tim Lincecum. That's um, right. Any any concern about that, or, or does he look like he's got a good frame and and solid? Well, how do Pedro, how do his tendons Pedro look? Is his, Pedro is his idol. Ah. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I, not, yeah. Not, not not surprisingly. Uh, that that would but, I think the Phillies would take that Pedro yeah, Martinez. That, that, I, they might be happy. Although if he's if he's eighteen, I mean Pedro was not a big guy. I mean Pedro, but Pedro stayed that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know what? I I grew three inches in between eighteen and. 21 yeah I, that, that would right. be, it sounds crazy brookie but when you said he's physically mature i thought yeah but he's only 18 and and depending on how his body changes like getting bigger yeah, and stronger I, might only make him more susceptible to injury mm-hmm. right I, yeah i mean i those are those are all things that, that you speculate on i have no idea what he's going to look like when he's 2021 20, and i don't know obviously a lot of that depends on what his family grew and you know what his genes you know we'll do but i you know right now he looks he he looks like a physically mature 18 year old you know that now there's that is that all the bigger he's gonna get i don't know some people do stop growing at 18 so brookie we're, uh, we're gonna need you to step up your uh your bodily projection game a little bit like read his, yeah, well, read his I, palm I, or something 
Can uh, you get like a yeah, DNA uh, sample that we uh, can take to a lab? Yeah, get us just uh, ask like like buy him a buy him a coke and promised, then do a swab. You guys promise no math. You promise no biology, and now you're sticking all this stuff on me. <laughs> can a can can a brother get a cheap cheek swab? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so Sixto Sanchez in three starts this year, his 18 year old season, um, has a 3.77 ERA. Um, you know, and, mo- and, and I can give you some insight into that. So. Some of that came in his first start. He, he, I think he struck out eight and five innings, and then he left with like the bases loaded, and whoever came in gave up like three runs because uh, they have him on a very strict pitch, pitch count, um, and, and he, he's not going to go more than five innings in most starts all year, I don't think, uh, mm-hmm. which is the way they're they're treated. So, I mean, they're not they don't really want to overdo it which again i that to me is airing on the side of caution which i, oh, yeah. I don't always like but but um so but the, the night i saw him is dominant if his the era was four something and now it's three seven five so he, he must have had a pretty decent third start i hadn't even looked at his third his, start yet his strikeout and walk numbers are just ridiculous he's got in his minor league career <laughs> which is 16 starts okay. this year he's got 17 in 14 and third innings this year he's got 17 strikeouts and two walks um, oh that's that's the other thing about him his command the two other things about him i mean he just he comes to strike zone and he works so fast it was, you know he, he gets the ball boom, boom. he wastes no time it was a funny scene i forget what inning it was the second or third inning they put the blue claws are doing their little uh promotional thing on the field with these kids and it's taking too long and, and Sixto's just standing there. He's ready to pitch, and he's staring at him like, "Really, man? I'm ready to go. What What, what are you doing? I'm ready." What? And it, it it carried over to his demeanor in the in the clubhouse after the game. Like we were the their Greg Giambrosi Giambrosi mm-hmm. is trying to find Nelson Prada to interpret for me, and Sixto kept coming over. Are you ready? Are you ready? And he's like, <laughs> and Greg would say, Greg would say. You, you can do it in English? He goes, no, no, no. But I'm ready. <laughs> he yeah. just wanted to get the, you know, he wanted to do the interview. He wanted to do everything fast. Well, you know, so. it's, it's funny, Brookie, because w- one of the fastest workers in Major League Baseball now is Chris Sale, who's probably the best, you know, right now you, you might pick him as the best starting pitcher or certainly one of them in Major League Baseball. And he uses pace to his advantage. I mean, it's, it, you know, he gets in there and he wants to throw the ball and and hitters. Well, Sixto's, Sixto's quote was, "I don't want the hitters to think about what's coming." Well, that's, I, you know, I, I don't I, want to give them any time to think about what's coming. I'd like to see him face Odubel Herrera. It'd be like irresistible force meets a movable object. <laughs> so this kid, yes, this kid in ninety-four innings, career-wise, he was, uh, you know, in the Dominican Summer League in two thousand fifteen. As a sixteen-year-old, last year he was he spent the whole year. Um, with the Gulf Coast League team down in Flor- in Clearwater, the rookie ball team as a 17-year-old, and then this year he's an 18-year-old at Lakewood. In 94 innings over those three years, how many home runs do you think he's given up? Uh, probably like five, I think. How many innings? 94. Four. Six of Sanchez has yet to allow his first wow. minor league home run. I should have mentioned that in my story, Murph. I, I overlooked that. Uh, oh yeah, part of, part of that is, is a lot of those minor league kids aren't capable of hitting home runs. But no, but that's it's pretty <laughs> uh, because they don't they don't have those mature bodies that that I just talked about. But I mean, like Lake, as as Brookie was saying, you know, I mean, this is still a very raw. I mean, guys don't play at Lakewood a lot because, right. like, when they're on rehab assignments, because it's like, uh, you know, facing a you know, 19th century rifle. <laughs> like, it doesn't always right, go. It, right. The bullets don't always right. go where they're supposed to go. You don't know where that go. ball's going. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and, uh, very true. And, and Sixto definitely knows. I mean, I, I talked to Mickey Moni. I said, Mickey, you, you've had the, one of the best seats in the house to watch this kid the last two years. And so what's his life? He said, his ball moves. He says, but he always knows where it's going. He said, it moves right, it moves left, but he's got real command of it. He, so what's Moniac look like these days? I mean, he looked literally looked like he had just stumbled out of his limousine on the way back from the prom when the Eagles draft or his, when the Phillies drafted him. His his body's matured some. His face has he still has <laughs> acne and he's and, and a baby face. He looks like he's thirteen years old, uh, but it's a sweet swing. I mean, I I think he had two hits tonight. I was there, uh, including a double down the left field line. It, it's a it's a very sweet swing. 
Uh, the thing I'll be interested to see with him is if he develops that like twenty, the fifteen to twenty home run power mm-hmm. uh, that I think the Phillies would like to see him have. I, I don't think that part of his game is there yet, but he, 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 it's a very sweet thing he has. And the other, the other kid there that I really like is Daniel Brito, yep. um, who's who's an international signing. I think they signed him for six hundred thousand. 650 somewhere around there uh in in 2014 and he's got a he's a very good looking offensive player right now i think he's got a lot of work to do defensively but uh you know he, he actually had a better season than moniac in the golf coast league last year and is really off to a very hot start with with lakewood this year i think it was you and he's only i think he's 19 you were talking about burrito yesterday right uh we were talking uh, about i think somebody was yeah, yes yes he's got so in 68 plate appearances at Lakewood this year, man, this team's stacked. Uh, he's reached base in 42% of his plate appearance, and he and he has five extra base hits in 59 at bats. Three of them home runs. Daniel Brito, a shortstop rookie. He's more second base, and they project him as second base. He's been playing short because Gamboa, who signed for 900,000 the same year as him, uh, is is hurt right now. He's got a hamstring injury, but when come, Gamboa comes back. I can't even pronounce Gamboa's first name. Archimedes, Ar- Ar- baby. Ar-miquities. 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 <laughs> it's something like that. Um, um, well, he's, talk- he's, he's, uh, he'll be their shortstop when he comes back, though. Let's talk about uh, second base, because we talked about it last week, and I made fun of everybody for loving Scott, loving up on Scott Kinger. And then I, rub- Ooh la la. And then I, rubbed, I rubbed it in their face a little bit with a column this week on Cesar Hernandez. Um, what do you think about Cesar Hernandez, Brookie? Is he for Rizzle? Is he for real? Oh, uh, in terms of what do you is, tell is me Cesar what you think Hernandez as a player? Is Cesar Hernandez you, playing second base for the Phillies um, the first year they're projected to win more than eight. to finish more than five hundred? I think I think he's going to be good enough to be that. Yes. Um, now, will people push him in the organization? Uh, will Will somebody present a trade? that is attractive with him in it. Uh, those are all possibilities, but I think he's a nice player. I, you know, I, this goes back to when he was at Reading, you know, I used to talk to some people who always described him as, as a better hitting version of Freddie Galvis. Now he's not as good a fielding version as Freddie Galvis, but, um, you know, he's he, a guy capable of hitting 300. He's showing some pop this year. That's what I don't yeah. know. Yeah. That's the part I don't know if it's real, but that's the part he needs to show. I think more to be to be the guy who you say, yeah, we can go forward with him is to show some, especially gap power, uh, because he can, can run forever, um, and he's he's played smarter baseball this year. So if what we're seeing right now is is the real Cesar Hernandez, yeah, he can be he can be around when they get good. Mike, Murph, are you, are you still in love with Scott Kingery? I like Kingery as a player. I like Hernandez as a player. You get so defensive when I talk about Scott Kingery. <laughs> defensive? You love him. I think you love him. <laughs> you love well, Scott Kingery. Isn't that Sandra Bullock? I mean, Bullock I don't, uh, the Phillies really like the Phillies really like Kingery too. Yeah, I know they do. Um, and they did in spring training, you know. But I think at times they got, especially last year, got got frustrated with. Uh, or frustrated as Charlie Manuel said, <laughs> uh, got frustrated with the way he, uh, you know, some of the things he did were just not smart baseball things, and I think that frustrated him. But talk about Hernandez. Are you talking about Hernandez or Kingery? Better in all those camps. What's that? Are you he, talking Kingery or, or Hernandez? Hernandez. Hernandez. Oh, yeah. Hernandez. Okay. And it's I, I think that frustrated him. With the, they got frustrated with that last year. But he's been better in every aspect so far this year. He really has. Yeah. And defensively, I think his defense has been the most improved it, thing. He's it, really it, played solid too. It's a good problem to have in that, okay, you know, you can move one of these guys. It can be Kingery. It could be Valentin at AAA. You know, can you find another position for, if necessary, for one or more of them? Um, you know, uh, but, I mean, look, let's face it. Scott Kingery is the future of this franchise, and anybody who says anything differently is just lying to you. <laughs> I will say this. It never it never sucks to have too many good players. I yeah. will say this. That's Sc- always the Phillies' problem, isn't it? Scott Kingery is currently... Yeah, it's never... It's rarely been their problem. <laughs> Scott Kingery is currently raking at Reading. He's got four, four home runs and three doubles in 
44 at bats. And I've been to Reading strange, strange, strange environment there. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> and I've been there a lot. Way too much way too much for my own good. Like Lakewood is a very normal b- environment. Mm-hmm. Reading it's just like you know, it's almost like a Cormac McCarthy rendition <laughs> of a minor league baseball game. Well, baseball town is a strange, strange place. But I so I've been there a lot, and I can't figure <laughs> out why. Like if it's the air pressure, like the dimensions the ball are the same. Just rockets yeah, like there. Guys hit. Guys get the Reading, and they just completely. Well, you know, again, I'm going to go back to New York again. But the Mets had the same problem when one of their minor league affiliates. I forget if it was Double A or Triple Probably A. Probably the, the one in Vegas. One yeah. in Vegas, like. You know, th- their pitchers would throw harder. The the batters would hit the ball farther. It's just they couldn't get a gauge on anybody. But I'm saying, like, Redding, and this all contributes to my theory that Redding is actually kind of a time warp parallel universe <laughs> in some dystopian uh, level of the world. You got, you got your crazy hot dog vendor. Yeah. You got your yeah. Briscoe disco. You got, <laughs> it's all happening there. You but got I, some, uh, what, but, what are they, llamas? <laughs> what, what are, no, uh, ostriches. Ostriches, You got yeah. some ostriches out front. They literally have uh, their, their attraction at Redding is two poor, poor ostriches who are in yeah. a in life-size cage in the parking lot. <laughs> like, it doesn't <laughs> make sense. You've got your vegetable race that, oh, that's yeah. always interrupted by bad candy. It's, <laughs> it's classic. It's, uh, bad candy is evil. Bad candy is really evil. He's always messing up that ostrich or that, uh, that uh, vegetable race, you know. And, and broccoli always looks so good coming around the turn, and then <laughs> bad candy gets... We've, it's, it's Bro- broccoli always looks so good coming around the turn. That is definitely the pull quote from this podcast, right there. It's also the first time Brookie <laughs> has ever set used the the words broccoli looking good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love me some broccoli. All right, Brookie. Right. Sealski's especially make, those florets. Sealski yeah. is motioning to me that he has to go, and I assume you would like to go do something productive with your day. So why don't we? Uh, thank you for filling us in on six though, and. Thanks, Brookie. And uh, say goodbye. All right. See you, buddy. Thank All you. All right. Have me back in about six months. <laughs> <laughs> right. See you. See, See you. And we'll talk to you all next week.